0: The Plant, a steampunk story by Francis Rosenfeld. Chapter 8. It's not that Richard wanted to get himself in trouble, but his curiosity always seemed to get the better of him, and since the plant problem was now the center of all the town folk's attention, which gave his parents little time to organize his schedule, he had plenty of time to dedicate to his research. In the meantime, the lab results were finalized to be presented to an already weary audience who didn't think they were going to hear anything they didn't already know. The real surprise came from the x-ray scans. The plant's tuberous roots were weaving through the pipes and taking up sufficient space to make the steam inside them run at higher pressure. There didn't seem to be a beginning or an end in this incredible system of ramifications, which exhibited the same strange behavior as its exterior counterpart, seeming to float inside the pipe and touch it only at the penetration points. A team of experts was convened from many institutions in the surrounding areas and representing many different fields to assess the nature of the problem and come up with solutions. They spent a month to analyze the situation from every angle, time during which the plant, luckily, seemed to have reached a certain equilibrium with its environment and stopped leafing out of control. When the experts reached their conclusion, they returned to a hopeful audience with their findings and a list of options. To this end, the town hall auditorium was filled to capacity, with everyone eager to hear what the team had come up with. Jack and Richard had found good seats in the first row of the balcony, where they were fidgeting to pass the time, to the annoyance of the elderly ladies they were sitting next to. As we mentioned before, the plant has mutated, the first experts started explaining. It formed a keratin-similar surface structure, like a shell, almost, only elastic and metal-based. How could something like this have happened? Did you pinpoint where the plant sprouted? At least, someone from the audience asked. No, the plant development is too homogeneous now for us to identify a starting point, it's hard to differentiate between old and new growth. We have good news for you, the plant seems to have matured and slowed the rate of producing new shoots. It will probably continue developing its existing stems and start generating seed. Until that time comes, we won't know how it propagates, but it is unlikely that it will do well in another location, the steam pressure and temperature seems to be essential to its survival. Great, somebody else exclaimed from the audience. So, how do we get rid of it? Well, the expert hesitated. It is a little more complicated than it looks at first sight. That floating quality the plant has, it is due to a field that the vine generates between its tuberous root system and the external stems in a manner I could only compare to an electrolytic bath. A what, the voice in the audience challenged. So, what does have to do with removing it from the pipes? A great majority of the electrons are, for the lack of a better word, shared between the tubers, the vines and the metal pipes, a phenomenon which is accelerated by the high temperature and pressure of the water vapors, the expert explained patiently. It might as well power light bulbs for all I care, what does that have to do with our factory equipment? Just tell us how to get it out of the pipes, a burly guy in the front row protested the detailed description of the plant's electron-sharing habits. It has a lot to do with that unfortunately, the expert hesitated again. At this point the plant really interacts with the metal support at molecular level. It's a plant. What do you mean, molecular level? You don't mean it fused with the pipes, a stupefied lady in the front replied. You could say that, the expert tried to evaluate the veracity of the statement. You mean to say we can't get it out of there, the lady started cried, incredulous. It is theoretically possible to remove it, the expert postulated. Theoretically possible doesn't put bread on the table, the burly guy protested. Can you or can't you get the darned plant out of the pipes? Yes, the expert replied, as the audience roared, relieved. Dude, what are we going to do? They are cutting it out. Jack whispered in Richard's ear, panicked. Shush. Wait, let them finish speaking, Richard hushed him up. We should, theoretically, be able to recover most of the metal, the expert explained, without any emotional involvement. The plant will, of course, have to be destroyed in the process. That's great news, another person from the audience exclaimed. So, what portions of the equipment you think might not be salvageable? I'm afraid I wasn't very clear in explaining the situation. It will be possible to recover most of the metals, separately, of course. All the alloys will have to be recomposed. Some of the material will be lost in the melting process, it's unavoidable, the expert continued, with a calm that put chills through the bones of the audience. You mean like, this much iron, this much tin, this much vanadium. In separate little piles, a voice of despair resonated from the back. Precisely, the expert pointed out cheerfully, happy to have explained himself clearly and oblivious to the audience's indignation. What are we going to do with all the equipment decomposed neatly into piles of separate metals? We need the working equipment, exactly the way we have it, a reasonable voice protested. Had it, he corrected himself. Whatever, he gave up. The equipment will have to be rebuilt, of course, the expert pointed out the obvious. So, what you're telling me is that this stupid plant has formed one solid block with the pipe distribution system, the burly guy in the front exploded. It's not a solid block, it did however interact with it at molecular level, the expert corrected him. What difference does it make? Do you mean to tell us we can't rip out the stupid plant without destroying all of our machinery? You can't be serious, his partner of conversation grew more and more irate. I knew that. Richard whispered to his friend. Did not. Jack objected. Did too. I figured there had to be a reason why that plant didn't budge. They are not going to rip it out. Jack replied, excited, stirring the indignation of the people sitting next to him. We can't remove the plant without damaging the metal components, you are correct, the expert answered the burly guy, but to Jack, it felt like he had replied directly to his own comment. Might as well close down shop right now, it's just a matter of time before the machines will be damaged beyond repair, the burly guy predicted. Cursed luck, that is. Actually, the equipment, as it stands, I can only describe as being in its optimal state, the expert continued. What's optimal about its sprouting leaves, somebody blurted sarcastically. The metal doesn't tarnish for one, the expert started enumerating. Big deal, the conversation partner brushed him off. At that steam pressure the plant yields the heat it generates through its own metabolism and its own electrical activity to the system, he continued. You mean it generates energy, somebody asked, unconvinced. Yes, about 20% more. 25, Richard whispered to Jack, to correct him. This is nuts. You are not seriously considering keeping the situation as it is. Does anybody here not think that this is a complete nightmare? Who in his right mind wants to work under those conditions, another person protested, stirring a small roar of approval. You mentioned that the plant needs the high steam temperature and pressure to survive. What if we just shut down the equipment for a length of time? He's right. Listen to him, a few voices in the back supported his idea. It's being turned off over the weekend, so obviously a couple of days wouldn't do it. How about we all take two weeks off, see what happens, he suggested. This generated serious protests from those who didn't want to lose so much working time, so the groups negotiated back and forth until they reached the compromise of one week. What do you think will happen if we shut down the factory for a week? A person asked the expert in the name of the entire group. I'm not sure, I guess we could give it a try, the expert hesitated again. There is a small risk that the metallic structure might disintegrate when the plant's metabolic balance is disturbed, he said, poised, and upon further consideration, he felt obligated to reassure the person who was staring at him, eyes filled with dread. I wouldn't worry about that. There is a very low probability of that happening, very low. I'd say put this to a vote, the self-appointed leader of the group proposed. Who wants to try and shut down all the equipment for a week? The eyes had it, and to Jack and Richard's great distress, a full system shutdown was scheduled for the following Monday. The two prepared feverishly the entire weekend for an unprecedented whole week of having the factory floor all to themselves. They soon realized they had to account for the time, and Richard left it to Jack to figure out another explanation for their absence, since the latter seemed to be better at this kind of thing than him. Jack acquitted himself very well of the task, and with the issue of the excuse safely in the rearview mirror, they proceeded to the factory on Monday afternoon. Richard ran around like a mother hen, distressed over the well-being of the plant and wringing his hands sorrowfully. To Jack's dismay, there was nothing he could say or do to make his friend feel better about the imminent demise of his beloved plant. Tuesday unfolded, more or less the same, with the plant not showing any signs of distress. Wednesday afternoon, the boys arrived to the factory, only to find it running. They had noticed the billowing clouds rising from the chimneys and assumed the people had changed their minds, so they sneaked in hesitantly, expecting to run into somebody at any moment, but there was nobody there, and everything looked exactly the way they have left it the day before, with the exception of the fact that all the equipment was running at full capacity. I've never seen the machinery running before, Richard noted, with an inspired look in his eyes. His beloved, and he wasn't sure if that was the plant, the metal forest of steam pipes, or their blended entity, was breathing again, happily alive, leaves all a quiver. Why do you think they turned it back on, he turned to Jack, pleasantly surprised. Who says they did? Jack answered ominously. His answer bewildered Richard, who took a second to understand his friend's argument. It couldn't possibly, he protested in disbelief. If you see it with your own two eyes, it's possible. Jack replied. How? How does it do anything else? Jack retorted. So, what you're saying is that any moment now somebody will see smoke billowing out of the chimneys and come here to check out what's going on. Richard said. Probably on their way here as we speak, Jack assessed the situation. Still arguing it's not smart. Jack asked his friend after they had left the factory in a hurry and were making their way back home. Now that the whole town was alerted to the fact that the factory had restarted itself, they knew their absence will not go unnoticed. I don't know, man, Richard replied, open to the possibility. Still arguing it's not alien. Jack pressed on. What's with you and your obsession with aliens? Richard asked, exasperated, but backed off when he saw the hurt look in his friend's eyes. I don't know, dude. Maybe. Carol had been waiting for Richard at the front gate the entire afternoon and was annoyed when she went back into the house and found her son already there. How did you get past me, she asked him, and then continued without waiting for the answer. Your father had to go to the factory, it's an emergency. I want you in your room, doing your homework, she ordered, then picked up Teddy and went back to the gate, to wait for the girls. Richard went back to his room, where he closed the door, opened the window and climbed out. He went straight to the library, hoping to run into Jack, and indeed he found his friend immersed in a treatise of comparative biology, studying the section on genetic mutations. What on earth do you expect to find in there? Unless they have a chapter on electron-emitting plants that can weld themselves to metal, Richard commented, half-serious. No need for the sarcasm, Jack defended himself. You don't have a clue either. Their lively chatter attracted the attention of the librarian from the day before, who saw them in the reading area and walked towards them, filled with excitement, before they had time to pretend they needed to be somewhere else. There you are. Hey. I told my friend Sheila about your magic trick, she runs the children and young adult section and they have a lot of activities for the little ones there. That trick was quite something. Do you think you could demonstrate it for the younger children? We have a half-hour available on their summer vacation schedule, and we couldn't find anybody to fill it. She stopped for a second, oblivious to the trepidation her suggestion had generated. What was that thing you were playing with yesterday? A plastic plant. She saw the look in Jack and Richard's eyes and mistook their panic for surprise. Don't be modest, boys, just give it some thought and let me know later if you can fill in, that was very entertaining, she smiled encouragingly and laughed. You and your stupid ideas. Richard hissed at his friend. Why did you have to bring the plant here? Would you relax? We'll just tell her our parents didn't give us permission, Jack found a quick solution to their predicament. What if she asked them? Richard pointed out and then remembered that he was supposed to be in his room, and if his parents ever spoke to the cheerful and talkative librarian, she would definitely remember their encounter this afternoon. Great, he said. Now I have to find an explanation for this, too. Why do you always have to create problems, Richard? Jack admonished his friend to the outrage of the latter.